Mark Twain said you can learn more about somebody in five minutes of play than five hours of conversation. That's true. Think about the last time you played a card game and somebody started losing, right? Think about the golf course or wherever you play. If that's true, how much more does crisis reveal our character? This series, Shaken and Stirred, is about shaking us up a little bit and seeing what are the things that endure? What are the, what are the parts of our lives that we're investing in that are really worth investing in? When you build on a foundation, a sure foundation, those things that are built on a sure foundation, when the foundation is shaken, remain. Anything that's built off of a sure foundation, when there's a crisis, when we're shaken, when circumstances turn, whatever does not endure, whatever is not solid, whatever is not really worthy of our human endeavor, it falls apart. That's what the series is about, is to, is to shake us up and see what, as individuals, as a church, is really worthy of our investment. What is it that when we as a church or as individuals invest in calls us up to the most noble places of the human spirit? What is it then that in turn makes us most influential? What is it? What's our main thing? Let's take a look at Ephesians chapter 2, starting with verse 11. Asking the question, after the hurricane, after... After so many parts of communities around us have been shaken up, I mean, we couldn't plan this any better. I, 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 didn't, I, didn't, I didn't imagine that, that we would have such a living and vivid illustration of what it looks like to have the foundations shaken to see what remains. What is worthy of our investment? Paul says, Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles... In the flesh, called the circumcision, the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. All right, I know this is awkward, but it's a baby. It's a baby boy, and so it's part of life, and we're going to move on. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. It's so important that we understand what the imagery is about, this body imagery. 
God is bringing new life through death. Verse 15, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. He's talking about Jews and Gentiles. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So, then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. May God bless us today through this his holy word. Let's pray. Father, bless this word indeed. Not only to our minds to understand it, but to our hearts to receive it, that with our hands and feet we may live it out. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever heard of a hedgehog concept? You have if you've read the book Good to Great by Jim Collins. Uh, A group of Stanford uh, professors came together and they studied the top 50 companies in in the country. And they, they figured out that, that the companies that went from good, just kind of maintenance mode, to great had what is called a hedgehog concept. Foxes kind of are, you know, are, are sort of chameleon-like. Or they're, they're constantly moving and shifting. But hedgehogs, they kind of do one thing. They're, they're passionate about something. They have one thing they really are great at doing. And that's the thing that drives their economic engine. So if you kind of think of three circles, you know, your, your passion and your great gifts and then, of course, what drives your economic engine. For a company, that's the hedgehog concept. And when you spend most of your time doing that thing, then you can move from good to great. What about in the church? What about in your life individually? Frederick Buechner put it this way. He said, the place of your calling is the place where your deep gladness meets the world's great need. Isn't that beautiful? I love that. The place where you're called is where your deep gladness and the world's great need meet. Where is that place? For us, for you, as a follower of Christ, for us, as First Presbyterian Church, what is our hedgehog concept? Well, to put it quite simply, the way Jesus put it in the Great Command, and it's the very thing that, that Paul is capturing in this passage, by looking past the, the surface, by looking past the letter of law to the spirit of the law, what he's saying is, what we're all about is loving God and loving others. 
Love God, love others. That's our main thing. That's it. Everything hangs on that. If you shake the foundation, everything else falls apart but that. And so we have to understand, are we building everything that we're building, whether you in your own household, in your business, in your, in your marriages, in, in your families, are you building on that? And in this church, are we building on that foundation? Is that defining the love of God, the love of one another as we love ourselves? Are we building anything off of that foundation? Let's take a look at how when we focus on our main thing like that, when we're lined up with our hedgehog concept, we blossom and we're the most influential we can be. First of all, let's take a look. Loving God. Loving God makes us most influential. Loving God. It makes us blossom when we're centered on God and not even on the church. A lot of times we center on the byproduct of the love of God. Even in the church, we think it's a good thing. I remember thinking um, many years ago, I, I heard a, a denominational, you know, sort of an institutional company man. Uh, yeah, I just said that. That's, that's what he was. And he was trying to make a case for the church. And I was saying, I don't care <laughs> about the church. When the church is just an institution that's not centered on the love of God and the love of each other. Even the church, a byproduct of the love of God and love of each other, can become an idol. And if you squeeze that, your hands around it and say, we have to protect this and we have to strengthen this, you choke the life out of the church. You see, what makes the church blossom is the love of God. I remember when I was, <laughs> this is so ridiculous, I, I, I shouldn't tell the story to myself, but I'm going to tell it anyway. All right, so, so uh, when our triplets were little, uh, when it was evening, we would be building some kind of tower or um, maybe some train tracks, you know, Thomas the Train, trying to put it all together. I had this little Thomas the Train track that, it had to be fit together in just the right way, and they were always destroying it. It was driving me crazy. You know, like, it took me for like half an hour to put this thing together with them, you know? And then they'd just knock it down. And, and we'd build these great towers, and, and they'd knock them down. And I remember having these crazy thoughts, like, I can't wait till they go to bed so I can put this together and it will stay. <laughs> and then they'd go to bed, and I'm thinking, I'm not going to play with these toys are you kidding me I mean just give me I, I, and that's when I thought I, I, and this was this was my close brush with with brilliance I, I thought I'm gonna invent a toy rake and then I can just kind of rake up all the toys and then be done with it because that's where you when they go to bed it's like I'm done okay but I kept thinking when they were knocking down the tower I had so much investment in it you know when when they were knocking down the Thomas the train track I had so much investment in it and I was thinking that's what this is all about it's about building the tower you see, we can, we, can, we can take our mind off of the main thing. We can forget that we're not, as a church, as families, as individuals, we're not in the business of using people to build things. We're in the business of using things to build people. That's what we're about here. And when we're centered on the love of God, 
The spirit of that law of love is what emerges. That's, that's what defines us. That, when you shake the foundation, that's what's left. That's what we want here. That's what you want for your family, for your business. That's what you want for your relationships. You want, you want, none of us wishes the crisis to come. But when we look back on the crisis, we realize what God was doing. He was pruning us. He was shaking the foundations. He was reminding of us of, again of what, what is our main thing. Paul is saying, he's saying, look, I, I, I'm, I'm a guy of the tribe of Benjamin. I was, it, Paul's saying, he, he was circumcised on, on, on the eighth day. That was, that was part of the code of, of, of of the structure of their society. On the eighth day, it had to be done on the eighth day. Genesis 17. He was saying he, he's a Pharisee of the law. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He's not dismissing the law, but what he's saying is, is that the law, the letter of the law, without the love of God, is death. It brings death. He's using this imagery, this body imagery, to talk about separating ourselves from, from this old way of life that brings death. And that when we, when we center ourselves, our, our communities, our relationships on the love of God, we can reach out in 360 degrees to all kinds of people, even the uncircumcised Greeks at the time that they just thought that these were the unwashed masses. Why would we have anything to do with it? We are the regal, noble Pharisees. And here is Paul, a Pharisee of Pharisees, reaching out to the last, to the least, to the lost. Even to the Hellenistic Greeks, the people who were just chasing after every, every little god. You see, when we're centered on the love of God, when we're centered on where our deep gladness meets the world's great need, when we're centered on our hedgehog concept, when the spirit of the law is within us and alive, that's when we blossom and that's when we're most influential. Love God. Love God. The second is like it. <laughs> You've heard that before, right? The second is like it. What's that from? That's from Jesus' great command. This whole passage is structured around that. The love of God and the love of neighbor as ourselves. The second is like it. It's our outward sign. The outward sign, the ceremonial sign, the, the mark of the, the law of the covenant was circumcision in the Old Testament. And, and the male's... You know, they represented the family, the household, and, and, and yet in the New Testament then, there's this water that, 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 that runs over us and then goes away. And the only evidence of the love of God is what? What is the evidence of your life? What's the fruit? It's the love of neighbor as yourself. But not only that, you got to turn it around the other way. See, the love of God produces the love of neighbor, but the love of neighbor produces the love of God. 
You can't miss that. You can't miss how it works. That's the way it works. Oh, so, so sometimes we just we think we think in our little compartments, our little boxes. Where does discipleship happen at First Presbyterian Church? Well, it happens over in that building where you've got the, the four walls and the table. That's where discipleship happens. Or it happens in a small group. That's where discipleship happens. You've got to make sure it's a small group because you know, we're, we're 32 and a half years old and we're not going to be in Sunday school class, all right? So that's the way that, you know, and, or, or I'm, I'm 17 and I don't even like Sunday school. I, I, like, I like my small group because that's where, that's where I'm really being fed. That's where I'm feeling connected. Well, why did you go stepping on our toes, Tim, like that? Well, here's the reason. Here's the reason. You can't think that way and understand what the gospel is doing in your life to bear fruit. When we, when we separate out into these little compartments and we think generationally about where discipleship happens, discipleship happens when we're loving our neighbor as much as anywhere else, as much as anything else we do. Outreach, engaging the community is part of our discipleship plan here. Part of your, it should be part of your own sense of the means of grace. You think, well, I need, I need to memorize more scripture. That's a good thing. I need to be in more Bible study. That's a good thing. You know, I need to mentor in my life. I need to journal. I need to, I need to, I need to, to read the Bible from, from cover to cover. All these things are good things. But what if you learn and learn and learn and pile and pile and pile and you don't, you've got a whole big toolkit, but you don't know what to do with it. Do something with it. Put it to work, and then you start to realize what that wrench does. You start to realize how powerful that hammer is. Find a nail and whack it, right? That's discipleship. Millard Fuller, the, the guy who started Habitat for Humanity, he said, it's the theology of the hammer. It's a beautiful thing. The love of God produces the love of neighbor, but the love of neighbor produces the love of God. It comes back around. It's like a combustion cycle. You know, we need this today. We need these outward signs, not, not just ceremonial signs, not just churchy signs of the love of God. We need these practical servant leadership-based signs of the love of God. Don't we? <laughs> I mean, how divided are we going to get before we realize and wake up, we've got the answer to all this stuff. I almost said something else. We have the answer to, to all this division. We have the answer to it. We've got it. You know, every premarital counseling session that I've done, the same thing has happened. When I ask the woman, I, I go through the Ephesians chapter 5, a little later in, in, in this same book. And, and I, talk about, uh, I talk about verse 21 that says, uh, it says, submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. People kind of forget, okay, submit to one another. So you're thinking, man, woman, how does this work? Who's in charge? Who's the captain of the ship? You know, who's in charge? Who's got the power? And you forget verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. How did he love the church? He died for the church. Gave himself up for the church. He served the church. What did he do with his power? He served. That's what he did with his power. What did he do with his position? He served. That's what he did with his position. I ask a woman every time. 
I've done this, I don't know how many dozens, hundreds of times. I've, I've said, would, if your husband, if, if your, your spouse-to-be led that way, if, 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 if what he did with his testosterone, if what he did with his power as a man, with his aggressiveness, if, if, if what he did with it went at you to serve you, would you, would you reciprocate? Would you follow that kind of person? Every time. I've been looking for that all my life. That's what I hear. You hear words like privilege today in the media. Patriarchy. I'm not going to fight that stuff. You can't win that argument. What do we have instead of that argument? We have servant leadership. If we had more servant leadership, we would hear less complaints about the way that power is being used in our country. Let me say that again. If we had more servant leadership, more servant leaders, more people taking their position and their power and using it in the direction to serve one another, we would hear less complaint in the form of these things that are dividing us, even gender to gender. We have what the world is in great need of. We have it. You have it. It's what you're made for. I was talking to a young man uh, recently, far away, nobody you could identify. And um, he was telling me how he'd accomplished everything he wanted to accomplish in life. 35 years old. Now, some of you all think that's funny because you're older than 35. And you realize that at 35, you're just getting started, okay? So, so here is somebody who says, I, I've, I've got it all. I did it all. I, I don't know what to do next. And I'm thinking, here's a guy who's got a lot of things to frame on the wall, a lot of accolades, a lot of talent, and has no idea what it's for. You have those things. You do. Look at you people. You're incredible. I mean, you are accomplished. You, you, you even took your day off to get up and, and look the way you look at you. You look beautiful. Most of you. <laughs> you, you have so much to give. So much to give. And how often do we just compare? We don't have what the other person has. or We, we, we poor mouth that we think less of ourselves than we should. We have to understand that some of what I heard about happening last week that you all did could be our regular course, our regular lifestyle. Listen to this. This is what you did last week. I was away, right? So some of you all said, maybe you should go away more often. Okay. Well, that can be arranged. This was, uh, this was a guy named Roger who received some assistance from First Presbyterian Church from a group. He was born with spinal, uh, spinal bifida and wheelchair-bound his whole life. The mess in his yard was too much for him. He was totally blown away by the fact that we were doing 
what we were doing for him for free. After we cleaned up his yard, we gathered around him and his grandfather and prayed for them both. Ms. Sarah, an elderly, an elderly lady who lost her husband only two weeks ago. Her yard had two trees down, tons of debris. Volunteers went above and beyond, cleaned up her entire yard. One of Sarah's neighbors saw what they were doing, and she came over to meet us. She said when she saw us cleaning it up, it put her to tears because she knew Sarah couldn't have done it all by herself. She just lost her husband. And here's a group from First Presbyterian Church coming to clean up her yard. That's fantastic. An elderly couple who had a tree fall on their home. They asked us when they got their tree if it was too big for us to handle. They said, uh, no, our God is bigger. And so all the guys, said, well, our God and their chainsaws, I guess that was helpful too. It was a helpful part of the equation, the chain, chainsaw. Uh, there's several others here that I could go on. And, uh, a couple of, of uh, yards in Dewey City and people saw what was going on. Outward signs. Outward signs. Paul's speaking to the Greeks. The Greek culture was magnificent. This is the culture of Socrates and, and, and Plato. This is, this is the culture that, that produced the, the famous Venus de Milo. I mean, that millions of people go and see around the world. This is the culture that was conquered by Rome that then became demoralized and ran after. When people stop believing in, in, in God, they believe every, anything. See, here a, 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 was a culture, a Greek culture that was rising up and was inspired and was looking to, to the higher heart, heights of the human spirit. And then they're conquered by Rome and Rome just kind of appropriates their culture. And the Greeks, they, they become sort of this Hellenistic, wayward, um, very vague group of people following all kinds of pathways Paul is saying, look, you're made for something. You're made for the love of God. And through servant leadership, through the outward signs of it, they changed the world. Another example. A small group, just one small group. You know, what, what's our job here? We, we, we try to create time and space for the love of God and for the love of neighbor. And then it's kind of up to you after that right? And guess what happened? <laughs> we, we created some small groups, and one small group, one of the leaders of the small group uh, drove through Iron City near Donaldsonville, where things are just completely leveled. He was so uh, torn about that. He came back, and I, I can see some of the members of this small group in here. He came back and shared that with them, and their entire small group was activated. And let me tell you what happened as a result. $25,000 worth of supplies and food was raised. We gave out 300 bags of food and household items, 300 cases of water, two trailers of tarps, hygiene items, baby products, products um, paper products, gasoline, extra food. Uh, each of the 300 families chose four items, and they organized themselves. See, that's an organism motivated by the, life, the new life in Christ, organizing itself as the church. That's what we're about here. That's what we're about. Building things like that. And when it's built on that sure foundation, the outward signs of new life, of the love of God that, 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 that regenerates your life, the outward signs are worked out into service, and that service begins to make us hunger and thirst for greater righteousness. To see this message 
to the end of the earth. Let's pray together. Holy God, how we thank you for the outward signs on this table this morning, for the beautiful way that you demonstrated your love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so we thank you for this simple expression, this meal that shows the action of love, the servant leadership of Christ. And we pray that you would set aside these common elements from their everyday use to their sacred purpose, that as we receive this bread and drink from this cup, we might experience a magnificent exchange of our sin for your righteousness. In Jesus' name, amen.